Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Jim Schonard and Mike Lanana, I'm John Manuel. Delayed a little bit here on a Tuesday afternoon by everybody's travel and a crazy Monday in regional play. But we are finally down to 16. I don't think we get to use Sweet 16 in college baseball. We are down to the Super Regional round and guys, uh, a crazy weekend. Mike was at the Lanana Regional on his couch gathering information, watching on multiple platforms. Jim was bouncing around the Metroplex between Dallas and Fort Worth. Those turned out to be two of the more intriguing regionals in a weekend that really didn't have a lot of chalk. Didn't have even the ones where favorites won. Mm-hmm. It didn't have a whole lot of just straight no chaser regionals. So you had a lot of you know, if you had a team that was going three and they had weather delays. If you had a veteran, if you had a, a national seed winning like Missouri State, then you're not hosting a super regional because of your schedule. Um, if you're Miami, maybe you win your regional, but you get shut out by Columbia. I mean, it was very, it was a very strange. I mean, I guess really, was Florida the straightest regional in Gainesville? Florida and I guess Vanderbilt. I mean, I don't think they had weather, but they know they had no, rain they had, in they Vanderbilt. Had play yesterday too. They had sheets of rain in Vanderbilt. I guess Louisville. Louisville got the three, yeah, but exactly. they had a scare at the end of one of those games. Louisville and then well. Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton. But yeah, uh, yeah. we had a lot of storylines. From regional play, guys, we're going to look forward to Super Regionals and preview those, but we're also going to look back at the regionals and how these teams got there. We're not going to start off any kind of arranged order, but we have to start off with the TCU-Texas A&M Super Regional. First of all, because there was some controversy over TCU even being a top-eight national seed. They went 0-2 in the Big 12 tournament. Didn't necessarily, uh, for some people, deserve to be a top-eight. You know, the in the back of the national seed race was pretty very 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 close but AM had been in the national seed race all year and now these two teams are matched up big 12 versus uh sec you know 20 years ago they were southwest conference foes so there's some old history between these two programs but now they're gonna you know texas a&m which was a you know, number one team for a little while there has to go on the road for super regionals and guys they really had to fight their way out of a regional, I think you could say that their series with Cal basically would have wound up being a three-game series. That regional was, for some people, the most compelling and the best-played regional of all. I mean, Mike, you're nodding your head. I, I think that yeah. was closest games and best played. Not that there wasn't, not that that regional wasn't without its college moments, mm-hmm. but from a com- competitive level, that might have been the most competitive regional. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It, it felt, it felt like postseason baseball the epitome of postseason baseball really yeah you're sitting on the edge of your seat in my case on my couch at the Lanana regional <laughs> really really all three games and the third one is a three to one game you know texas a&m near the end there kind of put it away but the first two games both extra inning games just some amazingly clutch plays i mean you, you look at brian celsi making that home run robbing catch in the, in the first game between the two to, to send it it was that was in the 11th inning it went into the 14th you have a walk-off home run by mitchell cranson who has the best stash who had the best stash still standing in the tournament. Unfortunately, that stash will not carry on. It's a great regionals. mustache and a great name. Yeah, El Gaucho. I yeah, love El Gaucho. Great, yeah. for, first of all, great mustache, great nickname, El Gaucho. Mitchell Cranston's a great name in and of itself. Yeah. It's a good name. But if you're going to be El Gaucho, you're going to look like El Gaucho, and you're going to hit like <laughs> El Gaucho. That guy was uh, he was more Gaucho than the Gaucho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think you look at those two teams, it's a shame both of them couldn't advance just because of how close those games were, how tight they were. It was the most compelling baseball. I mean, there were other games here and there that were very exciting, too. There's no question. There's a lot of drama throughout the weekend. 
a lot of a lot of games to whip around to on bases loaded, which I think they did a great job again this year. ESPN with the bases loaded channel. Yep. But yeah, I, I do agree that was the most compelling series, and I think Texas A and M's in very good shape here coming into the Super Regional against TCU. I think their pitching staff looks very strong at this point. I think Matt Kent, the way he's pitched, carrying over from the SEC tournament where he outpitched Carson Fulmer, really he's been outstanding his last three or four starts now. A guy who's kind of shuffled back and forth between the pen a little bit. And then you have Tyler Stubblefield returning. He had thrown two innings the entire year, and he started and didn't look like he missed a beat. And, you know, Andrew Vincent's a guy that can move around. And then Ryan Hendricks, having him at the back end of the bullpen, He's a weapon. He, Seems like AM has multiple weapons on the mound. And I don't know, this, Jim, this feels like it's going to be a very low scoring super regional yeah, on agree. paper because, yeah, Texas AM can hit the ball a little bit. TCU can move it around a little bit. It scored nine runs in the regional final, but mm-hmm. it certainly wasn't by most of their doing. No. They scored nine runs mostly because NC State happened to itself. <laughs> yes. Um, Jim, you're an NC State alumnus. There's a little local saying around here. We're going to work a tiny bit blue here uh, on this podcast. There's a little local saying here in North Carolina, NC State Sheets, which is your your Twitter hashtag, mm-hmm. um, where NC State fans expect something like what happened mm-hmm. Monday night to happen. But that was among the most epic fails you'll ever see. And I'm not yeah. trying to be negative. I mean, that, that, it's, that was an NC State team that was really fun to watch all yeah. year. Gritty, seemed to figure out ways together. to win games. Yeah. And then they found every way possible to lose. The only thing I could compare that to was 86 Red Sox, Bill Buckner, Bob mm-hmm. Stanley, and the uh, muck that happened in the bottom of the ninth uh, with the Red Sox were up 6-3 to three and went out away from a World Series championship and then to fall apart like they did. Mm-hmm. That's what NC State reminded me of. It was that bad. It was. I mean, there was such a – I mean, just going back, as I was writing about it last night, you look at the at the play-by-play and the box score and stuff, and it still just it makes your head hurt to try to wrap your mind around how did this uh, – how is this possible? Like, did that really just happen? I mean, even before – I mean, Ryan Willard makes it the second baseman and makes the two errors, but um, even then it was still, you know, um, John Olszak – I think it was Olszak on the mound at the yeah. time. He got, we got a couple guys out. So it was for, it was still eight to one. It was first and second with two outs. Not a, certainly not a dire situation. And then you just have the string of walks and passed balls and wild pitches and and a couple more errors or I guess one more error and just like so there were there were finally were a couple hits. But I mean, TCU scored six runs on two hits, one of which was an infield hit. I, mean, I would say that I would say Ryan Willard and Andrew Kisner. I'm not trying to knock any individual players, but those two guys had very forgettable innings. Yes. Uh, Kisner behind the plate, who I think is going to have a chance to be a high draft next year. Yeah. But there's considerable polish that needs to be added to the receiving part, and I think it's more mental than physical because mm-hmm. he just he just had a really brutal inning at a crucial time, and it was it was just ugly to watch. Uh, for both teams that inning, I mean, yeah. NC State scored four Yeah, the four top of the half top. of that inning was almost as bad. Riley Farrell was unwatchable that inning. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself sometimes that these are 20-year-olds, 19, 21, 22-year-olds, and it's hard to be consistent when you're 22 mm-hmm. years old. You know, it just is in all aspects of life. Isn't it, Mike? No, you're, you're not 22 anymore. I'm a little um, older than that, John. You are. You're wise in your ways. But I'm just telling you, it, sometimes it's hard for me to be consistent. I can consistently be a, annoying in a, 
here in the office, so at least I'm consistent in that regard. But that 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 was not TCU's best look this weekend. No. And Jim, just looking at how the two teams played, I think Cal had more to do with Texas A&M's offensive struggles this weekend. Yeah. TCU's struggles had more to do with TCU. Just the eye test makes A&M the favorite there for me. That said, can TCU ever play that badly again? Can they – I mean, I almost feel like they're just playing with house money now. Yeah, I mean, it's – like if they had played uh, two weeks ago, I would have said TCU was a solid favorite. But now – I mean, I feel like A&M's a favorite in this – going into this weekend. I mean, they – I mean, I, from what I didn't get to – I mean, I was watching some of those games on my uh, computer and stuff between between the games and where I was. But it looked like, I mean – like A&M won those games, it looked right. like. They made plays to win. They made pitches to win. I mean, other than, I guess he had the, I guess, what was it, the Sunday night game where the, the Cal base runner, what was it, he got trapped between third and home. And yeah. That, and that, that was, was a that close was kind play. Of a, yeah. That was a close play. If you're going to take your chances but, uh, trying to win a game, winning a foot race against Ronnie Gideon, that's not a, that's not a bad mm-hmm. roll of the dice to take. And kudo, Ronnie Gideon had a big finish in that game. Had an RBI double to tie the game off the bench and then mm-hmm. got the final out. And he's had some defensive issues. That's why he's not necessarily in the lineup all the time for AM mm-hmm. anymore. So that was, uh, uh, yeah, you, th- yeah, that wasn't as bad as some of the AM. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, uh, what, what struck me was uh, so I, on Saturday, I went, or Sunday, it all runs together. I went to the, uh, so I was at the DBU Texas game. And um, after that one, Augie Garrido was talking about how DBU played so well in that game. He's like, we didn't lose. Mm-hmm. DBU just did everything possible to win, and then it was struck me after last last night that NC State did everything possible to lose. Everything, every single thing you can do. I mean, they did score eight runs, but other than that, granted they were they were gifted something. Anyway, that inning they did everything they could inning, to lose. Yeah. And um, I mean, I mean, is TCU living on borrowed time here? I don't know. I mean, they are at home, and that was a great atmosphere. But I mean, NC State is a young team. I don't know how. I mean, they do play some. Actually, there are some hostile environments in the ACC. Not. I don't think there are many like that. At least certainly not in the regular season. But A and M's been. I mean, they're they've they've been in a lot of environments like that on the road in the SEC. They're not good, and they're full of seniors too. NC State has, you know, a couple with Bradley and Fincher, but I think A and M's. They're just that's just as old, that's just as old a team as TCU is. They're not going to be rattled. I mean, I've. I would pick A and M right now. I mean, the way this, the way they're pitching. I mean, I get it is only a three game series. I don't think he, if I'm TCU, I can't start Alex Young. He's got to be number. He's got to be in the. Like, got to start put Traver back in the the top three. Alex um, Young not at his. He best was not good. I mean, he's not. He was not that good in the last couple. His last couple regular season starts, and he was. He was good for two innings, and then that third inning, I mean, he was just getting everybody was just hitting rockets off him. Second time through the order, basically. So. I don't think you can. If it's a game three with your season on the line against A and M, you can't. You can't start him right now. So, so I think we all are favoring A and M. I would favor A and M. I will stick with TCU as my pick, just because they were my pick. I would say my confidence in that selection has decreased significantly yeah. <laughs> after the eye test. Yeah, you know, it's not like I, it was the first time I'd seen them. I'd seen them on TV before this year, but that was just a rough look this weekend. I mean, the the one thing in their favor, you know, as Jim is talking about, I wouldn't start Alex Young, I'd start Mitchell Traver. They have options there. The fact that, that they true. have I mean, options. That's why they were such a – Yeah. I mean, I wrote before the tournament, they were a strong candidate. If they did lose a game, that they could come out of the loser's bracket because of that depth. And that didn't – that wasn't exactly the reason they came back, but it helped. I mean, it helped them on that uh, 
the first game where uh, Tyler Alexander throws the, the great game on Sunday night. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can't start. I think Young's got to be. It was he's ugly. Gotta be, he's got to be an option of last resort right now. It, it was ugly, and TCU uh, has to be thinking that they're just really kind of lucky to be alive yeah. <laughs> right now, really, as a team. Um, now, you mentioned the other regional you were at. I'm going to bounce over there. You were also at in, in Dallas a bit. And Dallas Baptist, but that was a pretty surprising regional. There's only yeah, been several. Uh, what have there been four yeah. other four seeds that have ever won a regional, like Fresno. I think uh, Missouri won one. They were Stony the first. Brook, Stony yeah. Brook, obviously. Uh, um, a couple others. Charleston last year was one. Th- there's another one. Shouldn't have been a four seed, but they were. So there right. You go. VCU was a worthy four seed. Mm-hmm. Now they were our preseason pick to win the Atlantic 10. And our Hudson Belinsky wrote at the beginning of the year that they were the team to beat. Uh, you know, coming off a extra innings loss in the conference tournament final in 2014, but we talked about their up the middle defense. Guys like Vim- v- uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his first name. Vimael Machine, I believe, is Machine is the last name. I mean, Machine, but uh, you know, James Bunn. He that, plays that, like a machine. He yeah. does, and then that they would be, you know, that kind of team that they could be a dangerous team, and they were just dangerous. They, you know, they did the thing. You know, they went ahead and did the whole thing. And uh, just very impressive to see a team uh, go on the road and win a see, uh, win a regional like that cleanly, and especially with Dallas Baptist, Jim mm-hmm. had some momentum. Yeah, you beat Texas. You, know, you lost deal. that yeah. first game, but you beat Texas. You, you had the day off with the rain, so it probably helped their pitching. Brandon Coach had been had gone deep for them out of the bullpen, saved mm-hmm. some other pitching for them, and VCU just straight up beat them. Yeah, I think both the both games they lost. Uh, the two games at DBU lost to VCU, both of them. Uh, I guess, you know, I wasn't there on Friday, but it sounded like they just kind of came out kind of tight. I think um, Joe Shaw gave them a I – mean, Joe Shaw, it was a forgettable weekend for him, unfortunately. I mean, he – you think he lost both of those games. I think he took the loss in both games, um, Friday and Monday. And in both cases, they just fell in a hole late uh, – early, and they weren't – I think on, on Friday, they just kind of all around – all around, they just kind of came out tight. And then yesterday, they just – and they fell behind and just were not able to, to get their bats going, which they really never did in either any of the games. I mean, they scored – I mean, it's amazing what VCU – I mean, they go up six runs in four games. That's astounding, really. I mean, and it's, it's DBU is a very good offense you know, on its own field. Oregon State's – I mean, that's a good, talented young team. That's That was a, that's a pretty stout weekend. I think we all thought that Oregon State had a chance to go win that region mm-hmm. on the road. Especially when they won the first game, the two-three game, yep. with Andrew Moore matching up with Parker French. For the rest of the weekend, uh, not a lot going on yeah, for, Arizona, was, for Oregon State offense. Yeah, they get so they, yeah they get outscored twelve to two their last two. That's that was very surprising to see them go out with a whimper like that. They did, and VCU the pitching. I mean, I guess we really shouldn't be surprised that it's the pitching because the bullpen for this team. Has been lights out all year, whether it's Daniel Concepcion or Matt Lease. Matt Lease goes, what, three and two-thirds in the regional final out of the bullpen uh, to seal that up. So the bullpen's kind of been uh, the money mm-hmm. deal for VCU all year. Uh, JoJo White was our projected uh, you know, uh, top uh, pitcher in the league coming into the year. And JoJo White just had a fantastic year. You know, uh, 293 RA. Uh, this is a, it feels like a pretty legit pitching team. They got to go on the road though for super regionals guys and play a Miami team that it feels like if you have a little velocity, you can handle the Hurricanes and even Columbia with that shutout handled them. But 
feels like Miami's lineup is just not going to be held down for long, and no. they exploded with 20 runs in the regional, the winner-take-all regional game. feels like Miami, not just because they're a one, but offensively Miami separates itself a little bit. It feels like Miami's a heavy favorite here, even with as well as VCU pitched down at DBU. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, I think, I mean, you might be able to hold them down a game, maybe, but I think eventually those bats are going to hit. So, I, you know, you look at that lineup, and I'm not sure there's a better, if you just look at the production that they've had this year, I'm not sure there's a better offense in the country. You could maybe argue LSU, uh, potentially, but, you know, I mean, David Thompson has gone off. Willie Abreu, you know, hitting that. I, I, I think the most amazing part of that regional to me was the fact that only one home run was hit in that entire regional by Miami, and that was Willie Abreu's three-run home run. In the run. ninth inning. Yeah. In they, the last inning. Yeah, it was a, it was a monster shot. But that goes to show you that they can score in a lot of different ways. And if they get Abreu going, they're even more dangerous. And he yeah. really hasn't gotten going yeah. all year. I mean, I think a couple things stand out to me about Miami. Number one is that it's a it's a good pitching staff. It's not a great pitching staff. Number two, it feels like you can pitch to their guys. That's why you know, the ACC coaches the, at the tournament all thought that George Eskandarian was their best hitter. Not just because of the batting average, but because he's the guy who has the most, the highest ratio of hard contact. Thompson could be pitched to. Collins could be pitched to. They will punish mistakes, but, you know, Kennedy can be pitched to. But Iskandarian kind of sets the tone for their lineup, and, and he could beat you a lot of different ways. He doesn't necessarily beat you with power, but he beats you with hitting. He beats you with speed. So that lineup is quite good. Jim, is this a, in your mind, does Miami, and Mike obviously answers well, I mean, like, does Miami have, uh, th- can they win a game in the Super Regional if they don't hit? Are they going to have to score five runs to win a game, or do you think their pitching could win them a game? I believe enough in their pitching. You know, with Woodry and Suarez, I think those guys are – I mean, VCU is a – I think you, you can get enough out of those guys and with their with their bullpen and everything. I think you can you can win a 4-3, to 3-2 to two type of game if they have to. Um, I mean, they're – I think just that – that it's, that team just kind of has a, a feel of – it's a group that's on a mission. I mean, they haven't – They've had this Omaha drought of theirs since 2008, which is a drought by their standards. I think they're – this feels like they're on a mission to, to get that done, to get that – get back there. And I don't think they're going to – I mean, they kind of caught a little bit of a break with their – they didn't have that tough of a regional, really. But Yeah, East Carolina yeah. They earned a two-seed. They yeah, they were uh, – I mean, yeah. They, they scored were, one run in the whole – one inning. Yeah. They scored one inning of the whole regional, yeah. and they just – Feels like I mean, uh, Coach Godwin even said they kind of ran out of gas, basically, yeah. and it, they played like it. But um, yeah, I think Miami is still a, I won't say prohibitive favorite, but they're a solid favorite here. We've switched back and forth between these two uh, halves of the bracket as we preview the Super Regionals on the Baseball America College Podcast. Let's talk about one of the rematches, which is Virginia Maryland. This yeah. is, I guess, is actually the only Super Regional rematch. I think some of these other you know teams. Florida and Florida State, certainly there's a rematch element there to the rivalry, all that kind of stuff. Louisiana, Lafayette, and LSU. But Virginia-Maryland, guys, here's a rematch that nobody saw coming. No. Virginia, I think we talked about every regional team in Lake Elsinore last week but uh, (laughs) Maryland, but but Virginia. That was the one team I thought had no shot to win that regional. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many of us picked UCSB. I don't remember that any of us did. I think we were losing some confidence in the Gauchos. Yeah, I mean, I picked USC to win, and I mean they put on a good show. They came close. I think John, didn't you pick San Diego State? I did. I yeah. did. And I don't remember. I don't remember what I did. I don't remember what Jim did. 
He might have gone to San Diego State too. Uh, I don't. I don't know, but none of us picked Virginia. That's right. for sure. None of us picked the Cavaliers. The, the one non-Californian team out in that regional. And, I mean, to be fair, based on their resume this year and, and just the amount of holes in that team, I don't think there's a lot of reason to pick them going into it. But obviously that they came in, I mean, they're a well-coached club, and, you know, they've found the right pieces, and they've gotten hot at the right time. I think it's just taken them longer just with the injuries that, they had, that they've had this year with how young of a team they are. But I think they finally hit their stride, and – you know, they're dangerous, obviously. You know, if they can – I mean, offense was a problem for them much of the year, and they came back and, and beat USC 14-10. I mean, that, that tells you something right there that they can come back like that in a game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a, a really fun Super Regional. And, uh, you know, obviously Maryland's coming in hot too, beating the number one national seed. So. Well, I'll tell you, th- this is the regional matchup, Jim, that kind of is like the um – I told you so moment for our preseason rankings Mm -hmm. because Virginia was number three and Maryland was number 16. Mm -hmm. So Maryland 16, UCLA 11, it looks like a big upset, but it really wasn't when you really line up the talent. And boy, it sure seems like once Maryland got hot, uh, that was a very confident team once they got healthy and they played, started playing a little bit well. Obviously, they had that, you know, they played well in the Big Ten tournament. They got. Yeah, they had the letdown where they got stuffed at home by Indiana, like in April sometime, and they lost. And they did lose. Well, I guess what was it? yeah, their end of season series to Northwestern. Northwestern. So that set them, that that had them really on the right on the edge of the bubble, maybe even on the wrong side of it going into the Big Ten tournament. But yeah, they get to the finals there, and yeah, I think they've 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 gotten healthy. They've gotten Lamont Wade back. They've gotten Nick Sierra back. They've kind of figured – they've had to piece it together on the mound ever since they lost um, Taylor Styles, which was when I, when I was – that happened when I was up there. He got hit by the line drive uh, against Fullerton. But, um, yeah, getting the, some of their hitters back. They've got a horse in Mike Schworn. They've got Kevin Martier behind the plate, who's one of my – one of many favorite players I have on that team. But you, love that t- <laughs> you love that team, but there's a lot to like on that but, team. Um, I'll say up the middle, yeah, Maryland is Martier, dynamic. Kevin Smith, Lau, Lamont Wade. That is, that is as awesome. good of an up the middle as anybody has in the tournament. Martier, it felt like every out was hard for him this weekend. Mm-hmm. Lamont Wade is a tool shed. That guy is fun to watch. He is even fun last to watch. year when he was playing first base, he was fun to he was fun to watch at first base. But I mean, I mean, he's, he shows you power, he shows you speed, he shows you defense, he shows mm-hmm. you the arm. You know what else is left? You know, I only mentioned four. <laughs> Hitting for average, he's done that as well. He's really shown all five tools. And uh, it's, I mean, it, I kind of, I, I touched on this a little bit in the in the regional preview. I mean, this is a team that won a regional last year in South Carolina. Going to Jackie Robinson Stadium is not, uh, not as imposing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it struck me, I just, you know, I was watching that game last night, and I had just come home from the TCU game where it was, the crowd was so into it, it was so intense, and then, you know, the Bruins crowd just kind of, you know, and they, they, they well, they're all in line for the bathroom. Exactly, and you know, they, there's one. There might be some golf claps when there's a little bit of stuff going on, but I'm just like, oh, this is this is nothing compared to where I was just now or where the Terps were last year. I mean, they're not not gonna bother them. So I had, I had an interesting perspective on that with a couple of uh, people I was texting with the last couple of days. First off, so these are two of the West regionals, UCLA and Lake Elsinore. No West teams coming out. The West Coast, which usually the West Coast commenters are strong and boastful for their region on our comment boards, no, not mm-hmm. this year. 
The only West Coast team left is Cal State Fullerton. That's <laughs> the only one left. The Pac-12, TFCO. I mean, these guys went 0-4 regionals. No Pac-12 team won a regional. I mean, among your most disappointing teams, I mean, obviously you have to throw UCLA in there because they were the number one seed nationally in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Oregon State. Oregon State was one of the most disappointing yeah, teams was, in the yeah, tournament. Exactly. Oregon, I just talked last week to a couple of Pacific Northwest scouts for draft coverage, and they were like, oh, man, Oregon is red hot. And they came in there you know, as a very questionable team with a low RPI, and they went to Missouri State, and they were unimposing yeah. at one and two. Really didn't do much sort offensively at all, which is... For two runs in two games against Iowa. Yeah, that's An Iowa of, team that had not was not exactly hot itself going in there. And, yeah. yeah. So the Pac-12, you know, Cal really was the only Pac-12 yeah, team... Actually, yeah, they acquitted. The only one that acquitted themselves well. That's it. That did maybe a little bit better than you would expect. Um, the rest of the Pac-12, and this, one of the theories, one of the guys I talked to was, you know, you just what you talked about, Jim, facilities and fan interest. There is fan interest in the West, mm-hmm. but the, the the depth of passionate fans or the depth of fans who will get passionate about your team and will jump on that bandwagon and ride it is very small in the West. You have hardcore fans, and they're loud, and they get into it. But at UCLA, how many of those fans are there? Versus at South Carolina, where it's like 3,000 hardcore fans and 6,000 screaming bandwagon guys. <laughs> I'm not knocking South Carolina. I'm not, bandwagonism is not a negative here. It just means that they are there for the laundry. They'll be there because it's not, – they're not there because it's baseball. They're there because it's South Carolina. I feel like that is less on the West Coast than it is mm-hmm. in the Southeast. I don't think I'm out on a limb there. So no. I'm not knocking these other guys' bandwagon, but you just don't have that passion in the West. Maybe you do in a few pockets. Maybe you would have at Oregon State. Now, Oregon State is kind of the one that I think of that might be. You, you know, Fresno State used to, but that's been a mm-hmm. long time. I think Arizona State has those kind of fans, but it's mm-hmm. been a while. And maybe that's why there's a change going on at Arizona where Andy Lopez has decided, you know what, this is enough. Because um, Arizona obviously has uh, you know, four national championships since 1976. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty special. But UCLA, that ballpark, it's dark and it's small, yeah. and there's not a big home field advantage there. And it feels like that experience of having been in Columbia really did help Maryland, mm-hmm. which wins two games without its head coach, John Shep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Maryland had some adversity out there, and um, so who do you favor in this one, Mike? Uh, old ACC rivals, super regional ma- matchup from last year. Uh, UVA Maryland. Uh, I got to tell you. I'm leaning toward the Terps. They're the more physical of these two teams by a lot. Yeah. No, I think it's the Terps too. I, I mean, I I like Virginia. I like I like the talent that they have. But I think you you look at their team and you look at Maryland's team. I think there are a lot more holes on Virginia's team. I think they're both teams are hot, but I think Virginia is more vulnerable. So I th- I think Maryland is I think Maryland is going to Omaha. I think after after what they just did in this UCLA regional, I think they're going to. Tell you what, Jim, it feels like Virginia has waited all the last month or so for Nathan Kirby, mm-hmm. and he did not come back this weekend. I suppose there's a chance he could pick the Supers, but I mean, if he wasn't good enough for regionals, yeah. you know, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to see be him going regionals. out there and suddenly throwing seven right. shutout innings or something. Like but that. I think we've kind of waited for uh, them to who, who figure out a pitching identity. Now they have Josh Spores in this kind of tweener role where they could start him or relieve him. 
And Brandon Waddell, meanwhile, has been the guy who had a terrible start, but he's on a very nice streak here. Made the all-regional team, pitched well in the ACC tournament, pitched very well against North Carolina late in the regular season. CRA's come from about 5.5 to like 4.5 in the last month. Hmm. Feels like Brandon Waddell has seized this ace role. Boy, if they sneak one with Waddell, then you could deploy Spores as a star. So it feels like Maryland, like Virginia's pitching, which was a big part of the problem earlier in the year, they started to figure that out. I feel like they're going to have to really pitch their butt off to beat Maryland. Yeah, I do feel like for Maryland to win, I do think they still there's a lot of onus on them to win Mike Schwarren's start because they're relying so on a, on they have these you know they have a couple freshmen that are going to start games two and three whichever ones they go with uh, uh, Brian Selmer and um, Taylor Bloom started yesterday. I forget I forget the other guy's name, but uh, Bloom was good when they Bloom, needed yeah, him. Yeah, and he was. I mean, Bloom started the Big Ten tournament championship game, so they, I mean, they do they trust him to start big games clearly I mean but I, I mean they are freshmen so um, it, you kind of if they were if they were to lose game one with Schwarren uh, it's hard to see them coming back I mean they could I wouldn't rule them out but that's a great um, point they're probably one of the teams that's most reliant on an ace yeah they do that's how that they definitely have that feel of a team that they have to win all of almost all of Schwarren I mean they have won just about all of his starts I mean he's 11 and 2 or something so and the other but, difference maker for me for Virginia lately has just been Adam Hazley. Mm-hmm. I mean, we loved him last year at NHSI. Uh, he's, you know, the batting average has suffered a little bit the more he's pitched. But he still gets on base. Uh, he's got speed. They don't steal him a lot. It's not a team that's stolen a lot of bases, but they're aggressive on the base paths. And, you know, this guy's pitching important innings for them, whether it's starting or relieving. Uh, but it feels like I like Virginia's chances a lot more in the shorter the series is. Mm-hmm. So this is two out of three. Um, these are two very good coaching staff. I'm very impressed with both from a mindset standpoint, from a not-quit standpoint. just feels like Maryland is so much more physical mm-hmm. than Virginia. They should be the favorite. But we, we, we completely underestimated Virginia last week, and yeah. we're probably doing it again this week. But uh, it sounds like we're all picking the Terps there. I am. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. we are. Uh, let's, let's shift. Uh, let's just stay. Let's wrap up this side of the bracket. We've got Arkansas, Missouri State. It's a weird one, guys. I mean, Missouri State is a national seed, yet they're on the road because they're they're a home ballpark. John Q. Hammonds Park, I believe is what it's called, uh, is uh, being used by the AA Springfield uh, Cardinals, the fighting Kerry Booyers, as we call them around here, from our former colleague here, Kerry Booyers. You have to speak lower when you're saying like that. that. That's just too that's inside of a joke. It, the inaudible Kerry Booyer. Um, this is gonna. This is a nice matchup, and then you have the Florida Florida State Super Regional, which is, you know, uh, kind of epic when you match up those kind of rivals. Let's talk Arkansas Missouri State guys. It's kind of funny because I thought Arkansas had a case to host a regional. Um, they didn't quite do enough. Certainly their RPI wasn't high enough, Jim, for them to, mm-hmm. to host a regional. Now they get to host a super, yeah. and uh, we actually have a question on the Twitter from uh, Ben Embry. Who's the frontrunner for College Player of the Year? Could Benintendi lose it or win it based on how he plays going forward? I don't know about the Player of the Year award being uh, you know, down to this. I can tell you he didn't help himself in the Southeastern Conference Tournament where he wasn't very good. feels like the draft pressure has been getting to him a little bit here, Mike, but yeah. I tell you, it feels like Arkansas really needs him to win this Super because Missouri State's coming in, and whether they're home or on the road, they're coming in with as good of a one-two punch as any team has on the mound. And Harris and Hall. Yeah, well, I was talking to Coach Dave Van Horn earlier today, and you know he he definitely agrees that Benintendi the, the draft pressure got to him early on, and really 
what he says thinks got to him is the SEC Player of the Year award was announced just a, a day or two before the SEC tournament started. And now their Ben Attendee is going on the same field as guys like Swanson and Bregman with, you know, a chip on his shoulder showing, trying to show that he deserves that award. They, you know, better than those guys on the field. And, you know, he really did struggle, you know, he, other than one monster home run that he hit. Uh, other than that, he really didn't do all that much offensively. He ran down a couple balls in center field, but didn't do much with the bat. But this and there was basically a BA directory full of executive there to scrutinize yeah. him. Oh yeah, yeah. There was pretty much every every major league team, you know, the, the, you know, several row, rows filled of scouts. And but you know, th- this past weekend he had a nice weekend. He had a big hit, a big double in a cor- in the corner that that scored a run for him in, in one of their games. And uh, you know, it, he seemed more relaxed. And I know Van Horn is saying that. He thinks he's handling the attention a little bit better now. He's, you know, since that that first award, now as these other awards are coming in for him, he's not letting it get to his head as much, you know. He, and he thinks that he does think that one home run that he hit at the SEC tournament kind of cleared his head a little bit. Like, mm. okay, hey, yeah, now I can do this. You know, I'm the same guy. So, you know, it will be interesting to see. I mean, he's going to be facing a, a, a tough left-hander, you know, on, on the mound in, in uh, Matt Hall. Um, as good a breaking ball, it sounds like, as there is yeah. out there. I mean, we have Matt Hall at about the 370 range on the BA 500. Yeah. Hashtag BA 500. Hashtag yeah. very excited that that is done and uh, <laughs> very proud of our, our work there. But I tell you, it's, it's, it's not an easy uh, – yeah. I've had a couple scouts tell me you're a little light on Matt Hall. He's going to go out in around the fifth-round range, not about the tenth-round range where we had him. And, you know, it was kind of a scouting – scouts put a little range on him, six to ten rounds – I had a guy say, like, okay, let's compare how this guy's different from Jacob Lindgren, who struck out the world last year out of uh, Mississippi State's bullpen. Lindgren throws harder, but so it's a grade higher, but this guy's breaking ball is every bit the swing and miss pitch, and it's 163 strikeouts. Yeah. So that's a tough left-on-left matchup uh, for Benintendi. Does he have enough around him, Jim, in your mind? I mean, does Arkansas have enough supporting cast to – get through and, and score some runs against this uh, one-two punch that Missouri State has because John Harris didn't have his changeup working and didn't have his slider working, and it didn't matter against Canisius, which is a good offensive team because he's got four-plus pitches, and the fastball and the slider were working for him, and he dealt for eight innings after giving up the home run to personal cheese ball uh, Connor Panis. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, certainly Benintendi's the, the centerpiece, but, I mean, if you, they've got other guys that can, that can bite you if you, if you – Overlook them, or if you just if you get too careful pitching around Ben and Tendy. I mean, Tyler Spoon sitting 330. Uh, I feel like Mer- Michael Bernal has come on strong lately. Um, Rick Nomura is up there 308. I mean, they've, they've got some other guys that can. No one else has the power. Right. So, Spoon seems know, like he's been like he's the got other, little, like the wingman. He's yeah. been the most consistent guy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's I mean, he's a veteran guy. Then, so yeah. But I mean, so yeah. I mean, it, it's it is all about Ben and Tendy. I mean, if you can hold, if you can keep him off the board, then you're chances go up uh, quite a bit but uh, it's not it's not just a one-man show I, mean, I think there there's enough depth there for them to still be be, be dangerous enough to, to grind out some wins I mean it, it does feel like they started pitching a little better too uh, lately I'll tell you they have pitched better lately they have a absolute weapon in the bullpen in Zach Jackson I'll tell you the other thing that's interesting to me is how, I'm not quite sure how good Missouri State's offense is it does seem like they've gotten quite a boost when Eric Chere came back late in the year. He was MVC, tournament MVP. Uh, pretty sure he's a senior. They've gotten this guy back to, you know, they're de-aging him. He's hitting four-hole 
So he gives Tate Matheny a little bit more protection in the lineup. You know, I know they rely heavily on Matheny from the offensive standpoint. Uh, I know he's a leader for those guys. But statistically, he's not their top guy. You know, they have a lot of guys who, who get things done there. And this is, again, a coaching staff that, you know, Keith Gutton and Paul Evans have been together for, you know, they're like, uh, I'm trying to, well, they're like you 2 You know, you 2s are the same four guys for 30 years. Um, these guys have been together for a long time in Missouri State. I don't think that Keith Gutton has to say certain things to Paul Evans the same way for Paul Evans. You know, they're on the same wavelength. So this, this team feels like it's just an experienced team. I guess I'm wondering how phased you guys think Missouri State might be by having to go on the road to, to win a Super Regional. Uh, you know, they've won 48 games. I mean, it doesn't feel like they have any reason not to be confident. Yeah, I mean, they've won, what is it, 18 straight at this yeah. point, too? Yeah. So. Their last loss, April 25th at Illinois State. Yeah, so, you know, they have plenty of reasons to be confident. And even though Arkansas has pitched better, I do think that that staff is, is beatable. You know, I, I think... The pitching edge seems like it's fairly significant in Missouri State's yeah, favor. that's the thing. that And so, you know, I, I think they're going to be helped from that standpoint that they, they do have the pitching edge. And it re, it's really going to come down to, you know, how much, you know, Benintendi and Spoon and those guys are able to hit those pitches, I think. Put it this way. I'm looking at Missouri State in this winning streak. They've given up more than four runs once yeah. in the whole streak. That was midweek at Missouri. And, I mean, outside of Missouri a couple times, they haven't given up more than four runs in a game since Evansville on April 11th. It's two Missouri games, which is a uh, SEC team, but they just don't give up runs, guys. It's just not something that they do, uh, especially on the weekend. So feels like Missouri State, even though they're having to go on the road, needs to be a favorite here. I they, agree. They, yeah, they, I, I agree. Uh, we, we seem like we're, we're in unison on some of these picks. Yeah. Um, wrapping up this side of the regional, pretty heavyweight matchup going on in Gainesville. Florida and Florida State it just doesn't feel like Florida State can do anything easy. Every every game there in their regional was close, but they didn't lose a game in the regional after going 2-2 and two in their own regional last year. Now they win a regional, they got to go on the road to Gainesville to their biggest rival. But team that Jim, they kind of handled midweek. Now we finally get to see these two teams head-to-head mm-hmm. on the weekend. It kind of feels like Florida is playing its best baseball. They win the SEC tournament. A.J. Puck is just lights out right now. He's yeah. just shoving. And Florida's athleticism, uh, you know, we talked about the up the middle, uh, how good um, Miss, uh, Maryland is up the middle. Mm. Maybe Florida's as good or better with Buddy Reed. They're probably better defensively. Yeah. And they're very young. But Rivera behind the plate, Reed in center, Martin at short, Dalton Guthrie at second base. That team up the middle makes every play. They're mm. athletic. They've got a million ways to win. It does. It, you know, it feels like their their outfield is just so athletic. I mean, you know, with with all through all those with the yeah, Harrison Bader in left field is a center fielder on yep, most teams. Exactly. So, and it does. Ever since AJ Puck had that start against Georgia, where he struck out eleven in five innings or whatever it was, I mean, it feels like they've they've just gotten on such a roll ever since then. They won that series. They've got they've they've barely lost. I don't know if they lost any. I think lost, I'm sure they've lost a game since then, but not many. Not many. So. And yeah, they just—it's. I didn't see what Logan Shore did this weekend, but he's—you know—he's a guy you can trust, and he's Johnny I mean, consistent. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hard it's not to like. Bet. I mean, it does feel like Florida State. Once again, Mike Lanetta for always, the win. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead, Jim. I'm but it sorry. does feel like. Uh, 
I mean, Florida, Boomer Bogalski was so good in the ACC tournament, so you know maybe you can match up. I mean, FSU did pitch pretty well. I mean, look, they gave, only gave up three runs in two games to Charleston, who's a very you know physical, offensive team. So that's you know, that's a good sign for you know for what they've been doing on the mound. But uh, yeah, I mean, going even though they won two out of three against Florida during the season, still have some confidence, uh, knowing they can they can do it. But I, it's hard not to like the Gators. 27 strikeouts and 27 innings for them over the weekend in the regional. Granted, it's Florida Atlantic, which is a good offensive team, but Florida Atlantic is a very patient team. Very similar approach to Florida State. You look at FAU stats, it's walks after walks after walks, especially Brandon Sanger. And they walked one in that game, and it wasn't Puck, and it wasn't Shore. Uh, was it Fado, I think, started that game? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Florida, just, you know, the weekend, it was 27 strikeouts and three walks. If you put firm pitches with velocity in the strike zone against Florida State, you got a good shot. And that seems like that's what Florida does. I, I don't think it's a mismatch. Well, I really feel like Florida's a significant favorite here, though, Mike, as good as Florida State is. What's, yeah. what's the case for the Seminoles? Well, yeah, that's what I was about to talk about. I think you look at you look at Boomer Bogowski, obviously, who's been fantastic lately. He's really emerged as an ace on that staff, and he's, he's going to be tough. And then I think the wild card here is Drew Carlton. Yeah. He, he was excellent against College of Charleston. He was excellent in the ACC tournament. That's a great point. I mean, he, you know, if you have those two guys going in, Mike Compton, he's no slouch. I mean, he's, he's their Friday guy coming into the year before he got hurt. You know, I, I think it, that's a it's a quality staff. And three nice left-handers and a Holtman, Strode, and Silva. Yeah. So you can kind of mix and match. And you have these six guys. You know, to me, if you have six guys who you really trust and who you think are good, you're in good shape in the, going in the, in the NCAA right. postseason. Florida State has their six guys, and they trust all those guys. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I kind of go either way. I mean, I, th I do think Florida's the favorite here, but I, I can see a situation in which, you know, these these three guys, Bogowski, Compton, and Carlton, you know, should they be the ones to get the starts? I assume they are. You know, I, I think that they might be able to, to slow Florida down a little bit, at least. I mean, you see Florida in the last game only scored – Scored two runs. I mean, the first right. two games they were still going. I mean, I'll, I'll say this: you know, seeing Florida at the SEC tournament, seeing them in person, I mean, they looked unstoppable to me. And just you know, you're talking about the, you know the athleticism there in the field, and just I mean, it's a very young team and a very talented team and a very scary team. Yeah. So you know, especially playing in Gainesville, <laughs> Gainesville, you, you put know, a little Gainesville accent on it. I, like I it. threw a little, I threw a little wrinkle on that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a changeup. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I give the Gators a slight edge, but I really don't think it's, you know, it's a runaway at all. I do think I do think it's going to go the full three. And I misspoke earlier. Obviously, there was one easy game for Florida State. It was the last game. They did kind of yeah. run away from College Charleston in the last game there. Nia Porte went off. And, and so that's, that's the other thing that if you are making the case for Florida State, it's that all year we've seen like we've been waiting for consistent help for D.J. Stewart. That's one of the reasons he's pitched around so much, pitched so carefully. But Quincy Niporti, I think it's Niporti. I think I've been saying it wrong all year. I'm going to blame Patrick Keenis at NC State. He told me it was Niport. So <laughs> blaming Patrick. At, it's at, definitely not Niport. It's yeah. not Niport. It's Niporti, I believe. Yeah. But he got hot. A couple home runs. He's up to seven now. Yeah. Um, they do have lurking at the bottom of the lineup. If you make a mistake, Danny Delacaye will, will lose it. Yeah. But the other hot hitter for them now is Ben Deluzio. And that's the guy we've been kind of waiting on all year. Not, well, I'm sure we've been waiting, but I'm sure Mike <laughs> Martin and Mike Martin Jr. have been waiting more than all the Florida State fans. And gives you another way to win games. He's got 14 steals. He's got dynamic speed. He's a game-changer defensively in center field. 
he doesn't take really a back seat to Buddy Reed, I don't think, that much defensively. Um, probably takes a little bit of a back seat, but not willingly. Um, so I do think Florida State has a case. Um, I just think that Florida's a rare, relatively significant favorite. Another guy, I guess, who's kind of been in the hot hand here has been Peter Alonzo. Yeah. Mike, it feels like since he got healthy, um, you know, that, that team um, has really taken off. But I will say Florida's hitters, like their top power guys, are all pitchable in league play. J.J. Schwartz and Harrison Bader were their two worst hitters offensively uh, in terms of batting average in the SEC. So they, I think it seems like they have to more consistently find other ways to score runs instead of just sitting back and waiting for the three-run homer. Um, that Schwartz and Bader can sometimes provide. It sounds like we're both pick, like we're all picking uh, the Gators over the Seminoles. Is that is that what I'm hearing in this room? I am, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm I'm picking Florida, but I do think Florida State is going to be very competitive. I I, I, I would like to watch that regional. That might be the the, the LSU Lafayette one, TCU Texas A&M, Florida Florida State. They, you have these rivalries. Yeah. Those crowds could get pretty heated. Um, let's talk LSU Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Lafayette, you know, wins. I guess obviously the story of the regional in Houston was the twenty inning game. Yeah, that seemed like a futility filled game rather yeah, than a it like compelling it. game. Yeah. I tried to stay up for that one. It was hashtag uh, impossible. I I just <laughs> thought it was incredible that you had three pitchers in that game pitch nine innings or more. You know, you, you have you have the starter and Kyle Dowdy on Houston who goes nine and a third and throws one hundred and thirty seven pitches and. And you have Austin Orweiler out of the bullpen for Rice, throw nine innings there, and or nine and a third innings, I believe. And you know, it, it's just a, <laughs> it's just a crazy game. It's a, it's a very interesting box score, not one that you see often. And I think, you know, you wonder if, if that di- game didn't go twenty innings, if it went twelve innings, and Rice came to the next day a little fresher, if they would have played a little better against Louisiana Lafayette. I mean, that's a, a tough turnaround. You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care how young you are. I mean, I'm relatively young, and I struggle, you know, going to bed that late and get up, getting up early in the morning, you know, much less going out and playing a baseball game. So, you know, I, I don't know how much of an impact that had. I'm sure it impacted it a little bit. But, you know, credit to Louisiana Lafayette. I mean, going into it, I thought it was a pretty winnable regional. I, I picked Rice to win it. So I got it half right, I guess. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not half sure I'm going to give you that much. Half Rice is a better, that's a better answer. They did at least get to the regional final, Jim. Mm-hmm. Our, our preseason darling, the Houston uh, Cougars, yeah. undone really by the, the, an offense that just could not find enough offense. Yeah. What's Lafayette's strength besides Blake Trahan? I mean, I think I know a decent amount about Blake Trahan. What went right this weekend for uh, for that team? Well, you just look at how well they, especially the, the last two games, just how well they pitched. I mean, they pulled Houston to one Houston to one run in the first game and then even if Rice is running on fumes in the, the Sunday or Monday game they pulled them to two I mean it, it does it feels like they've kind of figured some, some things out and late here they go on that run in the conference tournament and now they go three and0 here so and the, and the other thing is they've, they've found the way to win. I know it was I didn't get to see the I see quite see the end of that uh, the uh, winners bracket game with Houston but I heard that had kind of a sounded like that had kind of a crazy ending so but uh, <laughs> the, the well, Seth, Seth, yeah. R- Seth Romero brought a no hitter into the eighth inning in that game and gave up a hit in the eighth, and then in the ninth, I, I believe the the game tying run came around on a squeeze bunt. I think there was mm-hmm. some kind of squeeze bunt thrown in there. It was it was definitely a heartbreaking, very very heartbreaking two games for Houston to to, to lose having a no hitter going into the eighth and then losing a twenty inning game. Well, it does they, feel like this is obviously a different team for Lafayette. A lot of changes from last year's super regional team, but you still have. Pretty decent amount of experience, and 
you know, obviously, I feel like Louisiana Lafayette, if you play there, you're not going to be intimidated by playing LSU. No. It's the chip on your shoulder. It's the little brother against the big brother. You know, they're the Louisiana University of Louisiana in their minds versus LSU. But I got to tell you guys, I'm not picking against LSU anymore. Not like we did last week, though, but we, none of us picked LSU to win the national championship. I'm not picking against LSU. They can win with pitching. They can win with hitting. They can win with their fans willing them to victory. They can win with base running. They can win by running every stinking ball down in the outfield. It feels like the only weakness this team has is outfield arms. And maybe I, the bullpen. Maybe the bullpen, but boy, they pitched really they did, well. Yeah, with they did this weekend. Jimmer and yeah, I mean, back to back shutouts. Can't I know that Troclair and uh, Trahan and Davis and Clement have some pop for this Louisiana Lafayette team, but feels like LSU is on a mission. And they're playing like it, and their aggression is just sometimes it's almost breathtaking to see a team play so fearlessly. It's really it's kind of inspirational to see baseball played that way, uh, for it me is. anyway. So yeah. they're 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 my favorite, not just in this super regional, but from now on. I know I picked TCU. I'm not running from that, but I'm still taking LSU. The the one thing I wonder about with them is they've been writing Alex Lang pretty hard lately. Especially in the SEC tournament, they had a lot of they had a few games where they're using six or seven pitchers. They relied on him. He threw a complete game. Uh, they're in this regional an excellent start. But yeah, he also like had uh, Alex Lang after dark, basically. Yeah, but he also, you know, he had some arm troubles earlier in the year where he missed his start there. You know, you you, you wonder, you know, you're, these are high leverage, high stress innings. He's a, he's a freshman. You wonder if not saying he's going to get hurt, but you wonder if it impacts him at all on the mound going forward. You know, I don't know. That's just something I'm throwing out there. He's obviously been fantastic, and he's a guy that I, I think they're going to go as far as he can take them. And, you know, same with Jared Poche. I mean, obviously he was great too, but, you know, you also wonder if that third starter role, you know, if they're just going to go with the, the Johnny Holstaff approach going forward because really they haven't found a consistent guy. Austin Bain's been up and down. Got a good report on Austin Bain today yeah. just from uh, somebody I was talking to. Really liked Austin Bain. And even though he throws 90-92, it was really more the off-speed stuff that he just thought yeah. was uh, pretty electric off-speed stuff. So it does feel like LSU, uh, I, I agree with you. I think I've wondered about that and worried about that all year with Alex Lang. Yeah. But my, oh, my, he is, uh, he's finishing, his finishing kick here has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, and Poche, if you're going to need a wingman, Jared Poche is a, a hell of a wingman. wingman. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm not picking against the Tigers. I do think it's worth worrying about their pitching to an extent so it sounds like we're all picking lsu let's wrap up real quickly on this podcast we're getting on the, the longer side two more super regionals illinois vanderbilt louisville cal state fullerton guys i gotta think these are two of the more compelling and two of the more evenly matched definitely louisville showed us something this weekend i think both kyle funkhauser with his hashtag long toss uh getting his velocity back up getting back to being crisp kyle funkhauser Funkhauser versus Eshelman seems like it's a, one of the better matchups that's uh, on tap for this weekend. I'm not picking against Thomas Eshelman. I'm just not. But I'm also not picking against Louisville. I think Louisville's going to win this regional even after losing the first game. But I'll tell you the Titans, another great job by Rick Vanderhoek, just like last year really, in salvaging the regular season. Um, and right now they're kind of carrying the whole weight of the West uh, Coast on their backs. They're repping and presenting for the whole league, the whole area of the country. And uh, I'm not going to pick against uh, Eshelman, but I still think Louisville wins the Super Regional. I agree. I mean, Louisville is just such a so complete. They can just do so many different things to beat you. And uh, like I said, even if Funkhauser were to lose, I mean, you get McKay and Rogers the next two days. I mean, 
I'd love to see the it's so tough to win yeah. a series again. I mean, I guess they did go one and two in the ACC tournament, but they only lose one actual series all year, and I mean, there's a reason for it. They've just got just an insane amount of pitching depth. I'm, I would be interested to see Fullerton's numbers against left-handed pitchers because uh, they're going to have to beat McKay and Rogers, one or the other. They're going to have to beat one of those two guys, and those two guys are lefties with really good breaking balls who just seem like they're just really in a groove, Mike. I, I can't pick against Louisville with that starting pitching in a three-game series. No, I can't either. I can't either, and like you said, even if they do lose that first game. and I mean, Eshelman can pitch great, and as, as we can see, I mean, that Titans offense can go cold. You know, you, you never know with, with Funkhauser, he could match Eshelman. You know, he has the capability, he has the stuff. So, I don't know. I just think beyond that first game, I, I think Louisville's the, the, the clear favorite in the, in the next two with who they're throwing out there. I mean, Brendan McKay is arguably the – I mean, probably the best pitcher in the ACC this year. I bet if you did like standpoint. a if you did like a statistical analysis of like win shares or wins above replacement or whatever, he probably leads the whole country. Yeah. When you're that good of a pitcher, and you're a very solid offensive player like he's been, uh, he probably leads the whole country. I, I will say, Fullerton's offense scares me because Almeida Barrera has been there all year. He provides power. He hits. He's aggressive. Vargas and Bravo have been pretty good for them of late. Um, I'm not picking against Louisville because I because they're at home, but Fullerton is a worthy representative yeah. for the West Coast, and Thomas Eshelman, uh, very hard to pick against him as the best pitcher in the country this year. Mm-hmm. The strikeout, the walk numbers are sick. That said, he threw 143 pitches that last <laughs> week, and at some point, you can't be perfect every week. So. They certainly put a burden on Thomas Eshelman. I know he wants to live up to it, and uh, uh, you know, you know how I feel about Eshelman. Uh, that's a hell of a hell of a college career, and I don't feel like he's going to go out with a loss himself. But I do think the team. I think Louisville's a little bit too strong on the road there. Finally, Illinois Vanderbilt guys. This is a fascinating contrast of Pro Tools and Loud Tools versus a, a Tyler J, who's probably the single most Filthy pitcher in the whole country. Single filthiest guy in the country for me, Tyler J. And then Kevin Duchesne, who's probably the single, and then we already have said sheet. I'm going to say single ballsiest pitcher in the country mm-hmm. is Kevin Duchesne. Um, the rest of Illinois' team, I just talked to a couple coaches about them today. Illinois does not wow you. Outside of Duchesne and Jay, there's not another big leaguer on this team. Goldstein's solid. David Carrion, Big Ten Player of the Year. I was talking to a coach today, and he's like, well, why would you move him out of the seventh spot in the lineup? They won 27 games in a row. You don't change the lineup when you win 27 in a row. And I was like, huh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> um, but this, t- from a talent standpoint, I really wonder how many guys on Illinois' team would start for Vanderbilt. I don't think the answer is very many. No. Maybe one of the Ropers would start at second base over you know, the revolving door that's been there for Vanderbilt this year. But... Who else starts over some, uh, from Illinois on Vanderbilt's team? Anybody? Jay closes. Yeah. Duchesne would be a number two starter over Philip Pfeiffer for me, or even Walker Bueller. Yep. I'm not sure he'd start Fridays over Carson Fulmer. I'm not sure those I two would. guys could be. I, I don't think Carson Fulmer would allow Kevin Duchesne in the door. <laughs> I think he would ban him from the clubhouse. But Kevin Duchesne pitches, yeah. with again, with no fear. Yep. That is a fascinating Friday matchup. Duchesne against Fulmer. That's gonna be it's kind of like good versus evil there. 
Yeah, no, that, that's going to be really fun. I mean, you have both pitchers who are aggressive, obviously much different stuff-wise. It's like Superman yeah. versus Bizarro. I mean, that's really kind of like Kevin Duchesne, from all the reports I have, he's like Bizarro Fulmer, you yeah. know? I mean, this could really be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but you talk about the home crowd. I got to say I'm picking Vanderbilt because I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be scared to go into no. Illinois. Yeah, I think Vanderbilt's a I – th- I mean, I think even though they're on the road, I think they're the favorite. I mean, they, and they have the pedigree of being the defending champs, and a lot of those, how many of those guys are back? And I think you're looking. If Illinois is going to win, you're looking at Duchesne's got a flat out deal and win a one nothing game on Friday, and Tyler J's going to start game two and have to shove. That's how I feel about it. I know, and I'm no disrespect to Drayson Johnson. I know they won't do that. And Drayson Johnson is good. Um, what's the third starter's name? I had it right here. Uh, Kravitz. Kravitz. Yeah. Kravitz is good too. I feel like Drayson Johnson and Kravitz in the SEC are Sunday starters. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're midweek starters. Yeah. And they're not strikeout guys. And that's how you beat, you know, you want to know how you can beat Capone? He pulls a knife, he'll pull a gun. You know, <laughs> you want to know how you beat Vanderbilt? You beat him with power stuff and swing and misses. They strike out a lot. That's not what Illinois' pitchers do. I just don't think it's a great matchup for Illinois. I think they have a magical season like this. They have the defending national champions with all that athleticism on the field. I just can't see Vanderbilt not winning that. For me, they're the favorite. Yeah, I mean, you look at Drayson Johnson and John Kravitz. I mean, obviously, they've, they've had nice years, but they do pitch to contact more. And Vanderbilt, you look at the, the contact they've been making, the kind of contact they've been making. I mean, it is hard contact. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're locked in right now offensively. It's not just Dansby Swanson. It's that entire team up and down. Jaron Kendall, a freshman, yep. is one of the guys hitting the Big ball hits hardest. Big hits lately. Yeah, he's, he's been great. I mean, Will Toffee, too. Will Toffee, and it, it almost seems like Brian Reynolds is heating up a little bit now. It's and, about damn time. Yeah, and Brett Reisman's been there all year. So they're I mean, they're a very dangerous offense, especially, you know, the top half of that order, and, and they can beat you in a lot of ways. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think Carson Fulmer, I mean, they really, Illinois has to win that first game. That's I, it. I think they have to win they're that first game. They're number two after Maryland in terms of has to win yeah, on that, that Friday start. Yeah, I agree. Cannot imagine them winning that super regional if Fulmer beats uh, Duchesne. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun one. Uh, I'm not sure if our Vince Lara is going to be there or not. I know he was there for the regional. I I know he had a lot of fun being there for the regional. Um, so uh, again, our College World Series picks were in last podcast. You guys lost your pick. I picked TCU. Let me guess. You guys are picking LSU to win now going forward with the with UCLA gone. I am. I think you kind of have to. I might well, go. you don't have to, Mike. You can pick whoever you want. I might go Florida. I was about to say, you're going to go this way. I might you're go going, Florida. You're, you're, you're getting ready to, to – uh, Yeah. You think it's great at UF. That's great. I think it's great, UF. Uh, uh, my least favorite – they're the losers of the hashtag Olympics, but they could be the winner of this uh, College World Series. Yeah. Great Super Regional weekend coming up. My son's got a game. I got a bounce. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For Jim and for Mike, so much more coming at Baseball America. All-America teams, Super Regional coverage – BA 500 is already live. Hit us up on Twitter. He's at Jim Schoner BA. He's at Emlyn Anna. I'm at John Manuel BA. And we'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.